Shalom Mishpocha. This is Rabbi Eric Carlson. Welcome back to our latest Kadima Talk. It's been a hiatus here for a few weeks. It's been summertime. I had to have a little knee surgery. It's put me back a couple of weeks, but we're here. So I appreciate and thank you for your loyalty, your patience, and continuing to join with us as we move forward in the greater kingdom. I want to talk about a teachable spirit today. And uh, I've talked about this in the past. But I've got quite a bit of new information that I want to share and wish to update this and uh, and bring even more perspective to this. Proverbs 9.9 9 says, Give to a wise man, he grows still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will learn still more. The moment we've stopped learning, you've stopped growing and become stagnant. President Teddy Roosevelt died in his sleep when he was discovered the next morning after his death. It was revealed that he was in the process of reading three books. One was on his nightstand and two were laying open under his pillow. Now, I'm one of those people, uh, my wife, Rabitzin, always questions me. She's like, what are you doing? Because I read two or three books at the same time. So I've got them in strategic places or wherever I'm at. That's the book I pick up with where I left off last time because I myself am a prolific reader and uh, seek to expand my own knowledge and wisdom as much as I can. So Psalms 119 verse 2 says, How happy are those who observe his instruction who seek him wholeheartedly. A teachable spirit is a trait that many leaders lack. After years into a career, many uh, leaders believe that they've attained all the skill sets necessary for their success. But the reality is that the world and the kingdom is forever expanding, growing, and changing. My father owned his own construction firm. I've, I've shared this with you before. I worked construction for years before I joined the Navy. And the reality is that that industry is forever evolving and changing. There's always new products. There's new technology. The methods are always present. And those who don't change are doomed to fail and they go bankrupt. I remember once we visited a Votech high school. I was about nine or 10 years old. And they were teaching construction skill sets. And so we visited this place. And my dad couldn't believe that they would raise up stud walls and then they were sheeting them, and uh, they were doing block blocking on between the studs like they used to do back in the fifties. And he just he talked to the instructor, said, "You know, why are you teaching this stuff?" And and the teacher said, "These were the skill sets." And my dad said, "Yeah, they're the skill sets from twenty five years ago. That's not how it's done in the industry today." And I tell you, I grew up with a framing hammer in my hand when I was doing this back in my day. <clears throat> we didn't have nailers we, you know we didn't have power na- every nail we put in was done by hand but no one does that anymore because you can't stay competitive it's too expensive we've gone to taking uh, you know two and a half months to build a home to now is done in a month or less and that's because of new technologies new products things are always changing and if you don't have a teachable spirit and have the ability to change you're doomed to fail achieving success requires change here's an interesting subject about change when comparing the 1955 Fortune 500 companies to the 2020 Fortune 500, there are only 52 companies that appear on both lists that have remained on that list since it started. In other words, only 10% of the Fortune 500 companies in 1955 remain on that list today. More than 90% of the companies from 1955 have either gone bankrupt, merged with, or acquired by another firm, or they still exist but have fallen from the top Fortune 500 companies, which is ranked by total revenues in one year or more. And why is that? Because they failed to remain relevant 
They failed to change. They didn't have a teachable spirit. And I've shared this once before about Kodak, but it is really profoundly connected to this understanding. And this speaks directly to us in the greater body of Messiah. See, because here's the deal. We get caught up in congregations and we want to do things the way they were done 40, 50, 60 years ago. We want to do that. You know, we're still arguing in the church today whether we should be using hymnals or not. Uh, really? That's from 150 years ago. I, you know, come on. The, the kingdom of God is, is always moving forward. And, and we have to have a teachable spirit and bring in new technologies, new strategies to help us expand the kingdom. Kodak was one of the biggest companies in America. When digital photography came to pass in the early 2000s, Kodak believed it would take 20 years to catch on. They were wrong. Though they got involved in digital photography, Kodak was still married to an outdated business model that relied on people printing their photos. Kodak didn't have a teachable spirit. What Kodak missed, what they ignored, is that the dynamics of photography had changed. Listen, people are still taking pictures. The gospel is still going forth. How we do that changes. Digital photography is about the freedom from bulky printing. People don't print photos anymore. They share photos online and their social media accounts. I think I've got 5,000 photos on my iPhone right now. This understanding is critical to the greater body of Messiah. It may sound hokey, but the truth is that growth is only possible when we're willing to maintain a teachable spirit. That means having a passion to learn, possessing an intention to learn daily, and reflecting on what we're learning to know and how to apply it. Personal growth is like a garden. Gardens don't sprout up on their own randomly. Gardens require work and planning. It must be placed in an area that will maximize sunshine exposure and have a plentiful water supply. The ground must be prepared, cultivated, and fertilized. And as a gardener, you must be willing to prepare and tend that garden to water, to feed, to mulch, to weed out the tares and maintain the soil. This is done with great intentionality every day. So is the process to have a teachable spirit. We tend, we prepare, we sow, we feed, we grow ourselves. We develop ourselves with great intentionality to achieve an ongoing teachable spirit. In fact, we pray this, Lord, have in me a fertile field for your seed to be planted in. When we're willing to seek out and learn lessons from the word, from others, from experience, from reflection, then we're able to increase our capacity for growth. This is true for ministry, for your job, your business, even hobbies. We must adapt, change, grow, and continuously learn new skills in order to stay relevant and effective in what we do. In my case, for the kingdom, it's always expanding and growing, and I must adapt and keep with it. Here's a few stunning statistics, and, and this is really, really why I wanted to come back and readdress this. It never ceases to amaze me that every, and, and I'm a revivalist, if you didn't know, I seek after, I strive, I have a great zeal to see revival, to see God's spirit poured out upon all humanity, to the Jew first and also to the nations. I've studied a lot about revivals, and there's been many profound outpourings over the last thousand years. But what amazes me is that instead of keeping moving forward, growing, seeking more of God, his spirit pours out, and there's a tendency to say, Oh, aha, we're there. But you're not there. And these powerful moves of God in less than 100 years become denominations that are dead. Now, everyone knows and have heard about the Methodists, 
The Methodist was a profound revival 200 years ago. Now they're a denomination. You, you see where I'm going with this? I could keep going, but you get the point. They stall out. They discontinue having that zeal for God. So it becomes entrenched. Here's something really important, and I found it stunning. 1,700 clergy leave the ministry every month. Did you hear that number? 1,700, 1,700 clergy leave the ministry every month. That is an atrocious attrition rate. We've experienced a prolonged two-year period of upheaval, chaos, political divisiveness, worldwide pandemic, sexual immorality, all things that have been very stressful, chaos, anarchy, racism. Leaders in the body of Messiah were frontline workers addressing the issues, the losses, and the other day-to-day crises management ministry they engage in. They're frontline workers, but not acknowledged as such. Now get this. In the last two years, 42% of congregational leaders gave real, serious consideration of quitting. So not only are we losing 1,700 clergy a month, but in the last two years, almost 50% seriously considered this is it, I'm done. The intensity and the workload, ironically, isn't decreasing, it's increasing. Less than 8% of Gen Z are actually solid, discipled believers. And all this leads to what? To a teachable spirit of not being trained and prepared for the worst-case scenarios. They don't know how to deal with pandemics and all the social chaos and anarchy. They don't have mentors or coaches or haven't delved into the world to see how or to navigate our chaotic times. It requires a teachable spirit coupled with resources to equip and support leaders. Times are radically changing, and we must keep up with it. We don't transform the gospel of the good news. That remains true and steadfast. It's how we bring it out. It's the strategies used. It's how we have an impact on the community around us. And are we being effective? To do so, we must have a teachable spirit, be able to adapt and willing to change. And what's the most significant obstacle of a teachable spirit? Well, I see it all the time. It's pride. Leaders are particularly susceptible to pride and what we call drift. They drift away from the visions. They drift away from the leadership. And this is common. You know, after 22 years of this, Rabitzin and I have learned a few things. I see this in congregates. When they first get here, they're all like, wow, they're on fire. We just love the depth of this Messianic teaching. This is so phenomenal. We're not hearing this anywhere else. This is great. And they'll sit two rows behind me. Then after three or four years, it's like, yeah, another (laughs) great message, Rabbi. That was pretty good. Now they're sitting five or six rows behind me. Just before they left, this is the drift. We can tell where people are preparing to depart from the congregation because they're now sitting all the way in the back by the doors. And it's only a matter of time before they're gone. Friends, that's the drift. Pride creeps in when they start to have success. It becomes very dangerous when leaders come to believe that it would be better maybe if they were in charge. This applies to every staff member, every employee, whether in ministry or business. Remember, touch not thine anointed. It's not your job to replace who had an eye put in charge. All authority on earth comes from him. When Yeshua was tempted uh, in his 40-day fast, Hasitan said to him, If you really are the son of Adonai, then jump off this cliff. First of all, the enemy's tempting his identity, if you really who you say you are. 
but he really tempted Yeshua with pride. One of the first things Yeshua does when he returned from the 40 days in the wilderness is to teach and preach on pride. Pride is one of the greatest sources of temptation for leaders. Listen, and and I'm going to be transparent. I thought this 15 years ago myself. Hey, man, this would just go better if they put me on a platform, if I was a speaker, if I was in charge. That's a very haughty, prideful spirit. And the only way one advances in the kingdom is in humility and knowing who we are in Yeshua. You see this in staff members. You see it in congregates. You see it in your businesses. The key is to have that teachable spirit. No one's above learning new things and new skill sets. When we begin, pride is one of the greatest sources of temptation for leaders. Taking credit for victory, seeking fame or notoriety. One forgets where they came from. And little by little, they let their guard down. Then one begins seeking compliments, vice wisdom and knowledge. Those who see themselves as seasoned, mature congregation leaders or leaders in general stop learning. They plateau thinking they have everything which they need, which is a lie straight from the pits of hell. I attended our MJAA Messiah Conference this past summer here in in July. And uh, this is in Grantham, PA. It's a week-long in-gathering. I highly recommend it. You go to mjaa.org. We have the Southeast Conference coming up here in December 2022. Every December, we have the Southeast. Every July, we have the Messiah Conference in Pennsylvania. And, you know, let me tell you, we joined the MJAA. Uh, I did our first conference of Southeast in December of 2002, 20 years ago this coming December. 2003, I went to the first rabbi's conference. We applied to join as the congregation. I applied and got involved in yeshiva. I graduated in 2006, ordained as a Messianic rabbi from the International Alliance of Messianic Congregations and Synagogues. Yet to this day, when I still go to the Messiah Conference, I attend our yeshivas, even though I've been ordained, even though I'm graduated. And, uh, you know, and I'm not going to say this with uh, any judgment, but rarely do I see any of my colleagues in there. Now, granted, we're busy. We've got uh, business meetings. Uh, they've placed me on the board. I've got board meetings. But there's always an afternoon where I can attend that yeshiva. This year, one of my favorite instructors, Dr. Jeffrey Seif, is such a knowledgeable, he's a professor at King's College. I just love being challenged. I love growing and expanding and learning new things. I can't imagine going to a conference and not attending classes and not attending that yeshiva. We have so many phenomenal teachers, professors, and scholars in our Messianic movement. I desire to go deeper in the kingdom in Adonai, in Yeshua. I want to be challenged to grow, to seek more of him. About 12 years ago, a lot of sea stories today, but it's just the way it is. 12 years ago, before Jonathan Kahn was the harbinger Jonathan Kahn and on the national scene, but he was still uh, widely known in the Messianic realm, uh, I wanted to, sp- to speak with him. And we knew of each other, but I hadn't really spoke spoke to him before. And uh, so I tried to get at him at the marketplace at the Maasai conference, and I just, it was like I couldn't get anywhere near him. There's always a gaggle of people standing around him. And I said, well, Lord, you know, if you want me to talk with him, then you're going to have to make a way. Would you believe it at lunch that day at Messiah Conference at the Chow Hall? Uh, but who comes walking up to me? It was Jonathan Kahn. And he says, uh, hey, Rabbi, someone gave me some of your uh, uh, CDs because we had just celebrated the 2007th uh, 400th anniversary of the founding of America at Jamestown. 
And uh, we did a lot of prophetic work in this, the one new man prayer. And he's like, man, hey, I really enjoyed that. And uh, just, you know, keep doing what you're doing. And I said, you know, this is a divine appointment because I wanted to meet with you and talk with you. I said, I, I've heard about how you do your services, and I would really love to be able to come up and do a visit and uh, sit through your services and, and see how you do it. And he's like, yeah, 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 that'd be no problem whatsoever. It was literally a month later in August, this time frame, I show up and he looks at me like I fell off the moon. And I, now I'm kind of shocked. I'm panicked. I'm like, hey, is everything okay? I, you know, and I, I said, hey, I shared that, you know, I wanted to do this. He's like, no, 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 no. Everything's fine. He's like, I'm just shocked. I said, why are you shocked? He said, because I've had at least 40 people asked me to do this in the last 25, almost 30 years of ministry, and I was the first one who ever followed through and do it. Now, are you catching this? I wanted to expand. I want to see how others do it. He said, of all the people that have asked me, you're the only one that has actually came and done it. I was the first one to follow through. And after services, they have services Friday evening, and Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, we're having lunch together, he and his wife. And uh, and of all things, then he challenges me concerning the birth of Yeshua and when it was. And back in those days, I did what all the other rabbis did. I, you know, this is, I think it was born in uh, Sukkot in the fall time. And even though chronologically, that doesn't make sense. And he challenged me that Yeshua was born on the first of Nisan, which became the mystery of the Mechura message, changed my world forever. And so see... Fortune favors the bold. I know that's a Latin statement. It's not biblical, but there's something to this. Didn't God tell Yehoshua, be bold, be very bold? Don't let pride get in the way of your growth and success in the kingdom. Now, let's go over some practices I think that may help you achieve and keep a teachable spirit. One of the things I do is I make growth my number one priority. After 22 years of serving in the U.S. Navy Submarine Force and an additional 22 years as a Messianic rabbi, I mean, what's that make me, about 38 years old? Okay, I can tell by the silence. Never mind. 22 years in the Navy, 22 years as a Messianic rabbi leading and growing a congregation, I've come to realize that everything I do that is successful and bears fruit has been predicated upon my personal growth. Every service, every conference I'm asked to speak at, our radio ministry, our internet ministry, every church I'm invited to speak at, every opportunity afforded to me is first a divine open door for Matt and I, and the result of my commitment to maintaining a teachable spirit. As I stretch and grow myself every day, the presence of Matt and I increases within me. People see that light. They're drawn to it. To keep that momentum and increase the kingdom, I, number one on my list, keep a teachable spirit daily. Number two, I look for growth possibilities in every situation. When you're intentional about growth, you come to realize that you're surrounded by growth opportunities every day. Now, here's the key, both good and bad. My first submarine I served on, and I'm going to give a shout out to my shipmates who listen to this, USS Finback, SSN 670, was one of the hardest charging boats on the East Coast. We got a ton of ribbons. We did a whole bunch of first ever in the Navy. Soviet submarines we come across and found. Phenomenal, phenomenal leadership. It was talked about up and down the East Coast. Uh, Captain Rocky English was one of the best ever. The next submarine I go to, and I'm not going to tell you the name of it, was one of the worst. It was absolutely horrendous. But here's the key. I learned greatly 
from both. George Bernard Shaw said the possibilities are numerous once we decide to act and not react. That's so true. When you get intentional about growth, you discover that good or bad, up or down, there are opportunities for you to grow in every situation. The skipper of that second submarine was a terror, but he was a terror every day. And you can learn how to work with that. And so on that ship, I was what was called the first lieutenant. I owned everything topside, the painting, how well it looked, all the rigging that went up there when we pulled into port. And I learned that as he come on board every morning, he would walk around topside until he found something wrong and approach me about this. And so the first few times he did this, he was up there for 30 or 40 minutes. And I'm thinking, man, this is going to be painful. So I'm going to tell you what I did. I would take a K-Pok, which is a life jacket, or I would take a line. I would take something small and inconsequential and place it topside where it shouldn't be in clear view of where he was coming on. So instead of me <laughs> suffering through 30 minutes of this every day, he would come on board the ship, but within 10 seconds, see this, Carlson, get over, and holler at me, and it'd be over with. And then he was someone else's problem downstairs. So I learned how to adapt to what he was doing and why. In fact, one of my staff here recently was asked to serve as a leadership uh, on a national organization. He said it was the worst of times. It was the best of times. It was both good and bad. And I said, that's great. And I think he thought, what? But it's a wonderful opportunity to learn and grow because you not only want to learn what to do, but you want to learn what not to do. One must have to learn good leadership skill sets and what not to learn for skill sets, whatever you do. You have to be exposed to both for balanced understanding. See, the problem is we get in a bad place. We say, I, I got to get out of here. I got to do everything my possible to get out of here. Well, 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 hold on. The Lord won't move you until you're blossoming where you're at. So make that a place to learn, to grow, and have a teachable spirit. That The key is that you got to look for them. They're not always apparently visible up front to your naked eye. Next, ask questions that will help you grow. Listen, growth doesn't come looking for you. You have to go and find it. That means being humble, willing to step outside yourself by asking questions of the people and situations of successful leaders Adonai has placed in your path. I'm amazed I've had probably, um, and this is a guesstimation, but probably 15 people who've come to me over the last 22 years and say, you know, hey, Rabbi, uh, I really want you to mentor me. I want you to guide me. I want you to pour into me. And the reality, only one or two of those have actually been real. What the rest of them want is for somehow to me, give them a, you know, a download like on a computer and they sit in Elijah's seat dispensing justice and not do the hard work to get where they need to go. When we started this, I didn't, this is, you're not going to believe this. When we began, there was no internet. It didn't exist. AOL was just coming online with dial up internet. What's that tell you? So we didn't understand the national move of the MJAA and the IMCS. I didn't even know those things existed. So we began doing what the Lord called us to do, and we had an appointment. We got cross paths with Joel Chernoff, who's the uh, Secretary General of the MJAA right now, and he was still doing lamb and worship. And so Sid Roth, a friend of mine, had sent me a cassette tape. I just keep dating myself today of his new release at that time of Jew and Gentile, One and Messiah. Sid couldn't believe I'd never heard the song. And so I got the, the cassette tape. We listened to it. We loved it. I, I read the sleeve. It says something, something, Messianic Jewish Alliance of Philadelphia, PA. I called that number, got a hold of Joel, brought him down here for a concert. And he's like, uh, 
hey, who, who seated you guys? I said, what do you mean who seated us? He's like, well, you know, how'd you get planted down here? We said, God. He said, yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, who? I said, no, literally, this is God. He's like, this is unbelievable. He's the one who invited us to come down, and we went to our first conference. But listen, no one handed me an itinerary. Here's what you do. I mean, I got the flights. I got involved. I had to pursue this. To get into that yeshiva, they just didn't dump this on my lap. Matter of fact, I had to make phone calls. I, nobody seemed to know who was in charge of this thing. It took me about four or five months. But you couldn't stop me from doing this because I had the zeal to do this. This is what I know God has created me for. Of all the things I've done in my life, I'm actually doing right now what he created me to do. And so this also comes with not just having a teachable spirit, but having the initiative to get out there and do something about it. It didn't come looking for me. I had to go out there and track it down. And so I've helped others to do the same processes. Listen, you know, here's, here's a few threads, begin pulling at and almost none of them have followed through with that. There is a few, you know, so those of you that are listening and you're one of those ones, I acknowledge it that. But I'm telling you, the overall majority don't because they think everything's going to be spoon fed to them and it isn't. So you've got to ask questions. You've got to shake that tree and get these things moving that will help you grow. You've got to ask people, successful leaders around you, be humble. Hey, how do you do this? How did you get to here? How did this process work for you? How would it work? For, you know, how can I get a hold of this? I've had supernatural opportunities of quality time spent with people you know. I've mentioned a few names already. Sid Roth, a great friend. I've known him for over 20 years. Coach Mack, Coach McCartney from Promise Keepers. Also, Dr. Raleigh Washington. Even a few submarine commanding officers and admirals have been major influences in my life. Ask, but make sure you listen. Not just hear but listen, I shared one of these a uh, number of uh, Kadima talks ago about pick a fight. I had an incredible afternoon. I spent an entire afternoon mano e mano with Coach Mack. Can you believe that? The Promise Keepers 25 years ago was the biggest thing happening in the world. And here I am with this legend in the kingdom of God. And I was like a sponge. I think I asked three or four questions and didn't hear him, but I listened. Those moments changed my life forever. It's invaluable, especially when I was new in ministry. Again, this is where I got that coach said, you want to make a difference in your community? Pick a fight. The best way to deepen our understanding is to ask questions. I'm so thankful for Dr. Raleigh Washington and the impact he's had on my life as he's headed, as he was the uh, CEO of Racial uh, Reconciliation and Promise Keepers. He's been the CEO of Road to Jerusalem, and now awakening the voice of truth. Wow. He's a, another spiritual father to me. And I thank God that I have people like that in my life, that when I have a question or a scenario I don't understand, that I can pick up the phone and they'll take my call. The best way to deepen our understanding is to ask questions. Questions are the keys that open hearts and minds, especially our own, keeping that teachable spirit. And here's another one that's really critical. Share what you've learned with others. Listen, there's a lot of other things. Listen, don't write me. Don't email me. I, I don't want a pat on the back. But this is something I learned a long time ago. There's a lot of time and effort. Staff members here set up. This takes time to do these things. To do these Kadima talks, I have to do the research. I put the, the, these uh, talks together. Then I've got other staff members here. They're recording. They're editing these things we don't sell these. These aren't going into a book. We're not selling CD. 
I've spent most of my life raising up, teaching, training my relief, the person who will take my position. It's critical to share with them every nugget of knowledge I possibly can. The ship's safety and success when I was in the Navy depended upon it. The lives of others were responsible for souls in the kingdom of God. There, there's, it's a duty, there's a mandate for me that all that I've learned, that I could sow that into the next generation because honestly, I don't want them to be on par with me. I want them to do better than me. They need to be successful. And if I can have any hand in that whatsoever, I want it. And I want to share what I've learned with others, the good and the bad. It's one thing to learn a truth. It's another thing to share and teach it. When you pass on what you learn to someone else, you've just made that lesson your own. Listen, when I was on active duty, when I, when I was running a division on a submarine, I learned the best way to get a young sailor to learn the equipment, and we used to call them system experts. Everybody had one piece of that equipment. They were the expert on it. And the way to get him there was to have him teach on that piece of equipment to the division. They will study and learn so they wouldn't be embarrassed before their peers. This is profound. It multiplies the impact of what you've learned because you're helping someone else. And they can use your words, your training, your sewing to add value to others. You got to play it forward. So we must have a teachable spirit. We must continue to move forward. And I am, I am imploring you, all that we've shared today, that, that you take it to heart and you remove all pride and take that extra moment to spend time with people. Take that extra moment to sow into those that are kind of hovering around you and think, man, what do they want? They want to learn. And you yourself, to as much as possible, read the book on leadership. Read the word. Find out that the word is filled with mentors who can teach you and raise you up and prepare you to lead the next generation forward, Kadima in the kingdom of God. Mishpocha, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom. <laughs>